Who wants to open with prayer? Eric back here. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us in your word everything that you want for us. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to open our eyes and help our teacher, Bob. We thank you for both of our teachers here and each of us. We ask that we each get a spiritual blessing, Lord, through your grace and through your word and help us to understand your word and, and light your word up in our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. Now, I don't ha- I'm not going to be able to make extensive PowerPoints for everything that comes up because we're going to be doing this together. And so you have assignments. And last time our assignment was, I mentioned it twice, um, are there other Sabbath issues that might shed light on John 9? And what does John in his gospel reveal about works of God. And one thing we need to do is really look at John 5. One thing John does is he develops themes. Most of what he's going to say you can find in John 1, 1 through 18. That final exam I did, I, 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 that was in there and I showed where all of this is going. But let me give you uh, something that I found on that exam that I had totally forgot about. I know it was closed book because I had the reference wrong, but uh, it's John 20, 20, no, 2031. I said 2035 on my exam, but that was wrong because there is no such verse. So in on that exam for Dr. Versaput, I claimed that that verse reveals... John's main point for writing the gospel. Now, the way this works is the whole gospel is making a point. Everything within it uses other truths that are important, whether they're narrative events, teachings that Jesus gave, uh, or our John 9 here. All of those are headed to somewhere toward making that point. Who wants to read John twenty thirty one? Anybody have that ready? Okay, we got Norm over here. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I believe that that John tells us his point. So if we come up with something else, we probably got it wrong. His point is that all of this is written that you may believe, and that believing you may have life in his name. I found something else different by knowing what to search for. So, but let's get going here. Did anybody find anything let me go to our where we are right now. We must do the works of him who sent me. We were looking at these two verses. Well, as day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now, there's two things that we need to know from this verse. What's the significance of the works of God? 
And the one that really hard to figure out is why does Jesus say we? And I think I had that one wrong. So I kept researching. And I think I've got a better answer now. That wasn't the assignment. But if you look at John 9 and verse 16, Jesus is called a Sabbath breaker. And we want to know this. Is the idea that Jesus working on Sabbath makes him a Sabbath breaker significant in John's gospel? And why? And does it help us understand other things that are important? This is very important. And the way you learn these things is by reading John. What happened in chapter 8? What happened in chapter 7? What happened in chapter 6? What happened in chapter 5? It's all significant. And if there are ideas that that start early on and get developed as we go along, there's a reason. And the reason is that we would believe. And believing, we'd have life. But what are we supposed to believe? That Jesus is everything John claimed he is in verses 1 through 18. So did anybody look up works of God and find anything? If not, I'll just uh, point us to where I think we should go here. Can't put everything I want to talk about up on the computer because it's too small and you won't be able to see it and that's just going to frustrate you. Works of God. Well, let's just go to John chapter 5. You're going to have to turn to it. I don't have John 5 on a PowerPoint because we're just going to go wherever the Bible leads us so that we can learn. And somewhere in the middle of this, I have something to talk to us all about concerning how we function as a church and serve God in an honorable way. I want to do some exhortation. I've talked to several people about that, including Eric, and I've got permission to do it. So I want to share wisdom that I've learned over the years about how God works to keep us out of trouble. How many know it's easy to get in trouble? (laughs) How many know it's hard to stay out of it? Well, God's going to help us. All right. So John 5, this is so important. I believe that this healing here, let me just read. I've got the Holman Christian Standard here open in front of me. After this, a Jewish festival took place. There's one, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool. Notice a pool. There's going to be a pool that comes in chapter 9. There's a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the... Now, this is not in the earlier, better manuscripts, so it's bracketed, waiting for the moving of the water because the angel would go down, and that goes to the end, whatever ailment he had. That's not... Probably wasn't original. It was added in somewhere, but... It doesn't, whether you, whatever reading you think is best, 
it's mentioned again in chapter 7, so it, it's pertinent to the narrative either way. But I'm not going to tear apart the section that probably wasn't in the original. There are technical, critical commentaries. By the way, if you see the term critical in a scholarly work, it doesn't mean criticizing the Bible. It means trying to understand what the reading is and what truly was said by God, the Holy Spirit, as he inspired the biblical writers. We're not criticizing the Bible. All right, verse 5. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. Now, I'll just do this, okay? I want to give you a chance to see if you, how you did reading this yourself. Let me just do it. What's going on here? There are two stories here, both that are connected in some way to water and the pool. Both are people that have been a long, 38 years, a long time to be sick. The guy in John 9 was blind from birth. The word born is found five times just in John 9 in the Greek. So there's a lot of similarities. So what John is doing in writing chapter 5 is setting some themes to help us learn what he's saying in chapter 9 even better. And in between, it doesn't go away. We have the Feast of Tabernacles, which had to do with light and water. All right, that already happened, chapter 7 and 8. And we have diverse responses to Christ uh, in chapter 6, where we find out what the works of God are all about. And I, so I think I may have a slide about that. No, I don't. I'm going to end up like the old-time preachers with a whole bunch of paper. I got <laughs> something here somewhere. But I, can't, I, I want you to be able to get in this and not to just be my digested thing. So I'll just do it from memory. In John chapter 6, there's a big debate about the works of God, and people ask what they got to do to do them. So this is already coming on the scene here. And in John 5, this guy's 38 years. In John 9, you got a guy from death. So we need to learn to read and put these things together because John is masterful. He's masterful as God enabled him to write inspired scripture so that we may believe and believing we have life. Evangelicalism has an anti-scholastic bias. And there's always been people since the 19th century saying, if you study too much, you're going to dry up, you're going to be a liberal, and you'll never believe anything. But if you go join a monastery, you're going to get closer to God. It's still out there. No, what God said is what he said. And if we study it well enough to understand it, we'll believe and have life. Knowing what God said won't kill you spiritually. It'll not only give you life, it'll sanctify you. What did Jesus say in John? Sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. You're not going to die by knowing what God said, you're going to live. Let's get excited about life. Not, oh, 
somebody said something I don't like or whatever. We need to believe. Okay, so we're in John 5. So 38 years, long time, it looks hopeless, right? This guy's hoping for some somebody to stick him in the water so he'll get healed. The guy born, born blind was just uh, sitting there. And the question was, who sinned? We talked about that last time. So let's go on here. So when Jesus saw him lying there, knew he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? That's a pertinent question. You would assume he'd answer immediately, yes. But look what happens. Verse 7, sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me in the water. And when the water stirred up, when the water stirred up, but while I'm coming, somebody gets ahead of me. He didn't say, yes, I want to be healed. He just said, it's not fair. Nobody will stick me in the water. 38 years I'm here. Everybody else gets help. I never, I remember reading this many, many years ago when I did counseling in the 70s and 80s. This person, there's millions of them out there. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Somebody always gets there before me. There are people who will spend their entire lives bitter. And when God said to them, God the Son, do you want to get better? No, they want to complain about how bad it is. I've seen people claiming to be Christians like that who never, ever get out of their problem. Because if they had life in Christ's name, everything would be different, but they don't want that. They want to complain. Look at this guy. Here's the son of God. But he said, no, it's not. Life isn't fair. Somebody always gets there. So Jesus heals him anyhow. Look at this, the sovereignty of God. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Commanded a guy to do something he hadn't been able to do for 38 years. What does that mean? Well, it proves John 1, 1 through 18. Jesus is God, the Son, the Creator, with all power, who comes with grace and truth. Get up and walk. And the fact that he said that and it happened reminds us of the creation account in Genesis 1. God spoke and it happened. Jesus is the creator. John is proving what he said in John 1, 1 through 18, right here. That's what he said. Get up and walk. And they asked the man who was cured, get up and walk, verse 8. Instantly, the man got well, who got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. Mental note. It was, it's up here. Think about it. Why is that important? If you have a strong concordance, you can do this. Better yet, if you have a computer Bible. Here, I'll, I'll, let's pass this around. We're not a huge group. I printed this out of a free Bible that you can get and I looked up the word light and was able to do this with free software so if you want to know every time Sabbath is used in John you can do it for free you don't have to spend $3,000 for Lagos I'll pass that around I did that for free so we don't want to just be people that give excuses. Uh, Bob? That was a Burr Bible, yes. 
but what was the name of that software? B-E-R-B-I-B-L-E. I got it on my computer here, but I don't think I can project it. I think they have a website about Burr Bible. Anyhow, I don't get any money for this. Neither do they. B-E-R-B-I-B-L-E. Go search it on the Internet and make sure you don't get to a bogus site that will take your money. But I did that with a free one. So here we go. What about Sabbath? What's the deal about Sabbath? We've got to know this or we won't understand John. How come they keep attacking Jesus for working on Sabbath? And why does he keep healing people on Sabbath when he could just as well have done it on some other day? Because there's a point to me. Yes, right there. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Okay, that's a good point. Come unto me, all you are weary. And la- that's a good one. Patty, good, good. Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Where do we find rest? In Christ. If we don't come to Christ... We can work, 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 and we'll never find rest. We can be fastidious about being religious, but we only find rest in Christ. Very good answer. Now there's even more about this. Let me, let me tell you something. I'm going to read this, tell you something I learned in the early 70s when I was a new Bible college student from a fantastic teacher. John 5 and verse uh, 9. That day was Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your mat. Well, he have been there 38 years. Did anybody else see him laying there 38 years? They all did. And now he's walking. Remember John 20, 31? The point is to believe. So let's say you uh, lived by a pond in whatever city you live in, St. Louis Park, and every day you walk by, there's a guy sitting there lame, he can't walk. People, the angel would always heal somebody. The water was just dirty, never got in there. And for 38 years, and you're now older, and you come by, here's this guy carrying his mat. What's your first thought? What happened? What's their first thought? You're a Sabbath breaker. So there's a problem there. There's a reason they don't want to believe. Here's what he said. He blamed Jesus. He didn't believe. He just blamed him. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Ah, somebody else's fault. He didn't glorify God. He didn't believe. Verse 12. Who is the man who told you, pick up your mat and walk? Same kind of thing happens, by the way, in chapter 9. That's why you need to know this to understand chapter 9. Because they try to find out who healed the blind man on the Sabbath. That's how you read. That's how you learn. But the man who was cured did not know who it was. All right. So I'm there. 38 years. Lame. Man cures me. Tell me to pick up my mat, I do. I'm a Sabbath breaker. Now, would you try to figure out who that was? Well, of course. But that, and that's the point, is who Jesus is. John 1, 1 through 18. He didn't care. 
there's something morally wrong with this man. Yes. The uh, laws that God gave the Jews, they were to set the Jews apart, being his elect. To pre- yeah, to preserve... The promises yes. of the coming Messiah and um, through a people that God chose. Yeah, so uh, the the laws they had nothing to do. They they didn't they weren't laws that God or Jesus had to maintain. Jesus says at the beginning of John, He holds the universe together. So that's a constant, ongoing. Yeah, that's a good reading. You're right. Okay, let me, let me tell you some stuff that's really cool. I love this. One of the themes in John early on is that Jesus is greater than Moses. Did you read that ever in John 1? Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, in the other Gospels, the same thing happens at the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Moses was there and disappeared. So Moses was the lawgiver. Now, if you look up Moses, if you go get this Burr Bible I told you about, I think it's called the Brian Bible Society or something that publishes it. If you go get that, you can look up Moses just in the Gospel of John. And it's pretty cool. They kept saying, well, we have Moses. What did Jesus say to them in chapter 5 about Moses. Moses wrote about me. When the fulfillment comes that Moses predicted when he said that God would raise up a prophet like me, listen to him, that's in Deuteronomy 18. And you won't listen to him. Now you're not obeying God and you're not even listening to Moses. And Jesus said in chapter 5, Moses wrote about me. Moses told people to listen to him. He's the prophet, greater than Moses. And if you believe Moses, you'd listen to me, but they won't listen to Moses or him. They say, no, we have Moses. We don't need you. That's the whole point. John is masterful. It's unbelievable how John wrote this gospel under the Holy Spirit who inspired him. It's in there in Scripture. Let's go on. The man oh, did not know, and Jesus was gone into the crowd. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, I'm getting back to where I was, see, look at verse six, 14, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Don't sin anymore. They were saying, if you obey Moses, you won't carry your pallet on Sabbath. Jesus told him to. And Jesus is greater than Moses. So what's the sin that he's still doing if it's not carrying the pallet? I submit to you that it's unbelief. What would be worse than sitting lame for 38 years? being lost in eternity. Remember John 20, 31. John is doing all of this writing by God's grace so that we would believe. He doesn't believe. Now keep this all in your mind when we get back into John 9. 
15. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. He turned Jesus in. He did it. Blame him. So verse 16, therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now here is the key. I'll tell you what I learned in the early 70s and everything that I've been able to research with with the best research available now confirms it was correct. Here's what it says here. Verse 17, but Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I am working. Then it says in verse 18, this is why the Jews began all the more to kill him, trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking his Sabbath, but he's calling God his father, making himself equal with God. They knew what he was saying because that had already been discussed in the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. Yes. Yeah, concerning this guy that picked up his bed and he didn't know Christ then, right? No. He really he didn't, didn't know him. And no. this is uh, this is almost a contrast with the woman in John 4. Wouldn't you say that when she found out who Christ really was, she was so excited right. and she went and told everybody she knew. There's a good irony there. Yeah. The woman in John 4 was a Samaritan who was a sinner. And that just reinforced, good reading, uh, Lonnie, that reinforces John twenty thirty one. So as we go through this chapter 9 together, join me in allowing John twenty thirty one to guide our interpretation. Norm. Well, if, if Jesus wasn't the Messiah and he was just an average Jew of his day and he was doing these things on the Sabbath and if he was making himself equal to God that would be really, really bad. Then he would be a sinner. Yeah, so I mean, right. that's, a, that's a proof that he is, he is the Messiah. Okay, now think about this one. I'm going to give you a reading of what it meant to go to the pool and, and Jesus spit in the uh, dirt and made mud, put it in his eye. When I was in the hospital, I read that with no help, and I think I had a better answer than I ever thought of before. And so since then, I've been trying to see if it's valid. I think it is. I think it is. And my, none of my commentaries, until I found that I had, in God's providence, bought one just recently that came out, because I got a good deal on it, and I got, I got something. I'll talk to you about it when we get to that point in a couple of weeks. But here's what the Jews believed. This is why they considered him not only a Sabbath breaker, but a blasphemer. They believed, and I heard this from a great teacher, Reverend Wesley Smith, in the 70s, and he understood intertestamental Judaism. They believed that God himself was allowed and did work on Sabbath, because somebody has to hold the universe together, okay? And I can quote that from somewhere, but it's in all these papers, and I'm 
take too long. But they believed that, and it can be shown that they did. Commonly believed. God works on Sabbath because if he didn't, everything would fall apart. God holds the whole universe together. They believe that. So when Jesus said, my father is working, and I am, he is reinforcing what we learned in John 1, 1 through 18. He's a creator, and he's equal with God. Absolutely. So they knew what he was claiming. Now, what does it say here? This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Yes, Eric. I have have a question, actually. We know that in the, you know, the, the seventh day of creation that God rested. But if we add up what you just read here with the, my father is working until now, and then what these ancient Jewish people believed. The question that I would have would be that, okay, during the creation, the seven-day creation, God rested on that seventh day. But then, subsequent to that time, God is holding his creation together, and he doesn't have... In other words, he's told within the Mosaic Covenant, he's told the Jewish people to rest on the Sabbath, but God, God is God. He never ceased doing right. his... Uh, creator work of holding the universe together. If we know anything about the universe, we know it would disintegrate. God didn't do it. Yes, the other Eric over here. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is the verse you're referring to, but it says he is before this Colossians something. I forget the. it doesn't say here, but he is before all things and by him all things hold together. There you got it. Very good reading. Yep. If you, drink, if you drink coffee, it's free today. <laughs> it's in Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Yes. Yeah, the uh, reason I understand that uh, Jesus was so inflammatory by breaking the Sabbath is because the uh, his real... He was getting at the uh, Pharisaic authorities who were using Sabbath control, uh, Sabbath as crowd control rather than uh, glorifying God. Uh, yeah, the point is to come to faith. Let me I, let me tell you a few things I learned as I was reading my own test that I hadn't seen since yes, yesterday. The first time I'd seen it since the nineties because I couldn't open it, and so that really got me excited about learning more of this. Here's the deal. One of the debates was it comes up in chapter 7 and 8 at the Feast of Booze. And Jesus has an argument where they agreed that some things were more important than others. Sabbath was very, very important. But they also had to circumcise on the eighth day. And so they had already made a rabbinical decision that if the eighth day fell on Sabbath circumcision is more important than Sabbath, and they could do that work without breaking the law. That was their decision. Jesus brings that up and said, well, you yourselves are willing to circumcise on Sabbath and hold yourselves blameless. And isn't it a greater work to heal or to save on Sabbath? 
Isn't that greater than circumcision? Because if you reason from John 20, 31, to believe and have life for all eternity is more important than being circumcised. And if you don't believe on Christ, something worse. So there's a greater to lesser or lesser to greater all through the New Testament. Common, common argument. We learn from it. What's wrong with the neo-pagans? Because I was talking to my daughter Jessica about all this. And she said that, did you see the video? A four-year-old kid fell into a gorilla pit. Did anybody else see that? Somebody did. Mark Amundsen, we were talking about it the other day. He had seen that on Facebook. Four-year-old kid falls into gorilla pit. The gorilla grabs the kid and sloshing the kid through the water because the gorilla is a beast. was going to kill the four-year-old. So they shot the gorilla. The neo-pagan greenies came out and protested the shooting of the gorilla. Okay, because they believe that the problem is human beings, not the animals. Nature is a goddess who's going to take care of us. Now, I start thinking about it as I've been reading through all of this. How many times does Jesus or Paul, remember Paul talks about don't muzzle the ox treading out the grain? Was that just for ox? No, man's more important. Uh, God takes care of the sparrows. How much more will he take care of you? The Bible believes that humans were created in God's image. They're more important than beasts, and that's their worldview. Dear flock, that is not believed today. If your four-year-old fell in there, would you want the gorilla shot? Does that make you evil? Because the gorilla is more important than the four-year-old? Think about it. Read the Bible. That argument is lesser to greater, greater, lesser, all the way through. Yes. Eric. Yeah, Bob, I was going to just point out uh, back in the beginning in John 5, it's interesting those who are uh, hurt are those who are blind and lame. And the reason I mention that is this is a connection back to Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, because when Messiah comes on the scene, the blind will see and the lame will leap. And so right away, Jesus is starting to do what the Messiah does. Right. And um, what's interesting is the connection, too, to the light and also to the idea of water that's coming in the Feast of Booths. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. He's the light of the world. If you come to him, you'll see. And he's also the living waters. If you come to him, you'll really be healed. You don't have to get into some pool. You come to him. And in fact, when we get to Zechariah 14.8, when Messiah is ruling from Jerusalem, the living waters go out from Jerusalem. Right. There's healing upon the nations. And what does it come from? It comes from Messiah. So if you come to him, the Messiah, you'll live. If you come to Messiah, you're going to be healed. That's what the truth healing is. Absolutely. And it reinforces John 20.31. And in Jerusalem, in John, Jesus goes back and forth to Jerusalem constantly. So Jerusalem's a focus. In Luke, half the book is getting traveling to Jerusalem. We have to interpret each gospel in its own right to learn what God is telling us. The worst thing that happened was people that said, well, 
uh, we can find contradictions in the Bible because Luke says Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem all these times, and he only gets there at the end. In John, he's always in Jerusalem, so therefore the Bible contradicts itself. No. Read John for John. If I would have turned that argument in, I would have got an F rather than an A+. Plus. When you're reading John, read John. Go ahead. The example of uh, the Jews being willing to pull an ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath, but yet they won't heal a, a, a man on the Sabbath. They got it backwards. Lesser to greater. And that's a strong argument. Let me do what I said I would. I want to tell you something. Let me read this. This is my exhortation. I think it's very biblical. I pulled, actually pulled this out of preaching through Galatians. It says here, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's an exhortation from scripture. And since I wrote an entire book refuting the seeker movement, and I have many times told how bad the shape program is in, in Rick Warren's Purpose Driven, we don't need to go study self. We don't need to do anything but let God take care of his own church. So here's what I want to exhort us, including me, because I've had to do this many times in order to stay part of the body of Christ when I felt like I was wrong. And I've been just as wrong as anybody else. But we need each other. Here's my take. How do you know what your gifts are? Show up ready to serve. Show up. Let's be real practical. All the work in the world is done by the ones that show up. Show up. Then, be ready to serve. Now, that is not to say we don't need the organizers and the planners. Absolutely. I may be one who tends toward chaos, but I don't advocate it. <laughs> I know I need somebody to get things organized. I told my daughter, the only thing organized in my entire world is my hard drive and whatever Diane organizes. But thank God the hard drive's organized or I wouldn't have found a final exam from 1998 because I know where to look. But here's what we need to know. Show up ready to serve. Whatever gifts you have will become evident. People who are prone to planning and organizing will end up doing that because that they like to do it and it's become obvious that they're doing it. Teachers will be able to teach. People that want to serve so that the tables are ready for people to come or this will happen and that will happen. It will happen. Now, however organized it is, always because of the fact that we live in a fallen world, things will happen. In other words, maybe it's somebody's job to greet out at the front and we get here some Sunday and nobody's greeting. Do you think that could ever happen? Yes. All right, now let me give you an illustration. 
because I was doing service for 25 years on a tough situation down on 24th and Nicollet where we had a big building and no money. And it was really hard. Opportunity can be translated base of operations. Now, the flesh has a range of meaning, okay? Here it means the arena of self-will and self-indulgence. So I either show up ready to serve and I get wronged sometime, could happen, and that can be the flesh's base of operations to be like the guy in John 5. Nobody helps me. It's not fair. I'm angry. I'll just sit here and be bitter for 38 years. Or I could think, I'm serving God, and God is in charge of all things, and how can I serve the body of Christ even though the body of Christ isn't perfect. If I would have quit every time I felt somebody wronged me, I wouldn't have been in church for the last 45 years. If I saw somebody else not doing their job and I got mad and said they didn't do their job, I just told a story to Ron yesterday. I was in auto repair business because some guy that was supposed to do it would jack up the car get on a creeper, roll under the car, and his two feet were hanging out in the front bumper, and he'd sleep for three hours. <laughs> and all these people, we were over here on 4500 Minnetonka Boulevard, would say, my car's broke, my car's broke, my car's broke. Nobody had any money, and everybody's car was broke. And the guy was always sleeping under the car, so we could either be mad at him. And I thought, well... I, I love learning things. I'll fix the car. I don't know how. So I called a friend, told Ron the story, whose dad was a mechanic. The friend needed an overhaul engine, so his dad came from Iowa. And I said, let me wear clean gaskets while you overhaul the engine. I'll learn how to fix cars. Turned out to be something I did for a few years. That, that's just my story. It could be anything. You don't step on somebody's toes. Now, let's say that guy was getting all the cars fixed instead of sleeping under there. And I could go out there and say, I think I should be the one doing this. Why don't you go take care of the garden? No, that's not my business. I just need to show up ready to serve and let God be in charge. Be in charge. Flesh means five different things in Galatians. But here I think it means the arena of self-will and self-indulgence. So... Here's the exhortation. If you're married, you're going to have to learn how to love one another despite problems and imperfections and failures. If you're in the body of Christ and you have opportunity to serve the Lord, show up ready to serve. You know, a, a lady who came to Christ in the 80s started coming to church and she was just full of exuberance and said things her own way, but I think it means a lot to me. Her name was Barbara. Here's what she said. This is God's gig. This is God's gig. In other words, I might think I know what I should be doing, 
But God will get us to the right place at the right time despite ourselves. He's done it over and over again. He will keep doing it. Show up ready to serve. Be forgiving. Love the body of Christ. If you're wronged, just say, Lord, you're going to have to help me because I'm a lot more likely to get bitter than better. Dear Lord, help me. Now, I have some stuff I've worked on as far as how we can create a practical way to be changing by God's grace based on Scripture alone. I sent you a copy, and I sent Deb one. Deb said she thought we should try to do it. So I'm working on that. If we believe in Scripture alone, then we should be able to get together, serve, love one another, pray for one another, help one another, and in the whole process... We'll end up at the right place, at the right time, equipped for God for the most important thing God wants to do for each of us. And I, I believe God has done that. So that's my exhortation. It is based on Scripture. I don't want to tell anybody what they ought, have to do, but I want to point to Scripture and say, Lord, help me serve you and not offend everybody. It's not easy, but God will help us. Now, why we did John 5. What happened to the guy in John 5? He didn't believe, did he? There's, he just was a really bad example. I think he'd rather sit there waiting for the angel. And at least he had some reason to, to beg. I don't know. It's not portrayed in very good light. Now, Fast forward to John 9. That's where we are. You probably read the whole chapter already. What's the point? Well, one thing we know from John 20, 31 is that the, John wants us to believe and have life in his name. The guy in John 5 didn't. The guy in John 9, what happens in the end? He, he believes. Now, there's a process, and we learn a lot in the process. Because Jesus finds him and asks if he believes in the, in the Son of God. He says, who is he that I might believe? And he does. So we have a contrast. Now, we. Let me talk about that. To see we, I had that one wrong. When I read it in the hospital with no resources, I didn't know why it says we. But I thought maybe it's just an epistolatory we or a, sometimes to be humble or appropriate without pointing to ourselves. A person will say we, meaning everyone involved. I like to do that. I'd rather say I did this, I did that. It's not a good thing. So we have a website that has sermons, and you can go here and find that. I'm not claiming I created it, but that's not what's going on here. And let me tell you why that was not a good reading. We must, remember day, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, if you look up the I am sayings, in John, you'll find out Jesus is claiming to be God. 
I am who I am. You find that in John 1. Don't accept a reading that takes you away from what was in John 1, 1 through 18. Yes. Well, yeah, I got a different translation. Yes. Uh, I've got New King James, and they use the pronoun I. Yes. Instead of we. And uh, let me tell you why I accept the we reading, because I did look into that. That would solve the problem. The earlier and better manuscripts all had we. The reading I is a weak, weakly attested. And I'll, I'm going to tell you what I learned, and I don't need to make anybody happy. I just need to do the best I can to teach. The more difficult reading, if you have an older reading in the older manuscripts that's difficult, and then you have a newer reading in newer manuscripts that solves the problem, it's more likely that the newer one is wrong. Why? Because any of us, if we're going to edit something, we're going to make it easier. So if some scribe 300 years later, uh, 200 years later, is reading that, and they used to make glosses in the manuscript. Glossator was a scribe who, tra who transcribed these things. And the scribe can't figure out why it says we. Could have said, well, maybe I is a better reading. You're going to change it to the easier reading. You're not going to change a hard reading, I mean an easy reading, to a hard one. So if originally said I, there's no reason to change it. So if you read like the Word Commentary series, which is usually has material about this, you'll find out what man I have that data in Logos, what manuscripts have what reading. So I was probably changed to make it agree with I am the light of the world. Now that's an easy solution. It would be easier for me to just say that's that must be it. But why does it say we? Because I think it did. Here's what I think. And I found a better explanation for it. The point of John is that Jesus is in the world. He calls disciples. And the work of God is that we believe on the name of the Son of God. I am the light of the world is unique to Christ. That's true. But he came into the world in order that you might believe and have life in his name. Now, do I have that? I don't know what I have here. Hey, look at this. Look at this. I got it. Sometimes... God uses us and we didn't even know what we're doing. Well, no, yeah, well, I'll, I'll explain that. While I'm finding this, turn to John 6. I'll tell you why I think this is a better reading. But Lonnie, thanks for bringing that up. Everything's a teaching opportunity. Here it goes. Works of God. Turn to John six twenty seven. Oh man, time is running out. <clears throat> Quickly, John six twenty seven. 
Here's Jesus. I just, that's there because I guess that's how I found it. I looked up the Greek word. Don't work for food that perishes, but the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God, God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Plenty to learn there, but just take that. Next verse. Here's that same thing again. Now, see, the reason I like the Greek, because the word perform, you might miss it. So I'm, the Holman Christian commentary, that's as valid synonym, but I think it's not as helpful as keeping works of God. Here's what it says. What can we do to perform the works of God? There's works of God there. They asked. What can we do? How can we do God's works? That's their question. Let's see what happens. Look at this. This is great. Look at it. This is our answer. This is the work of God that you believe on the name of the one he has sent. What is the work of God? To believe on Christ. The guy in John, remember John 5, my father is working till now and I am working. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Jesus said, Jesus came in John 6. He walked on water. They wanted bread. He had multiplied the bread. They wanted to make him king. And he had a dispute. And most people left. The work of God is to believe. John 20, 31. These are written that you may believe. So how could the blind man or us readers get that point? Then here it says, what sign are you going to do so we may see? So look at that word see. What did Jesus do? He held a blind man so he could see. That's a good reading. And believe. The point isn't just to have physical sight, but to believe. What can we do that we see and believe you, they ask? And what are you going to perform? Same word, work. And here we come to our verse. This is later. Here's the reading. Forget what I said about the epistolatory or royal we. This is a reference back to John 6, which came after John 5, and the works of God are still going on. The way the blind man who saw could do the works of God was to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gives light to the blind. He is the light of the world. And we need to stay there because it's the reading I believe that John wrote. We means Jesus in the blind man. And when he believes on Jesus, he's doing the work of God. When Jesus healed him, he's proving that he is God. And he can even work on Sabbath. That's my reading. I have to acknowledge that Dr. Michaels was the first one, and that's a recent commentary, who even suggested we meant him and the blind man. So I went to look and see if there's any validity to it by doing a search in the Greek. I believe there is. Dear saints, 
what we need to do is learn how to read. It's all there. These things are in that you may believe, and believing you may have life in his name. Uh, assignment for next week, quickly, jot this down. I know I'm going late. What is the significance of light in John? I don't know. Next week I preach. The next time I teach Sunday school, do this. And if you don't have the tools, go find that Brian Bible for free and look up light. I passed. Did I get all the way around? So I already did the search to show what's there. What's the significance of light in John? See if you can figure that one out, and that'll help us do this. So I love learning, and I hope that you do too. Because I don't know how long I'm going to be there. That's what I was thinking of in the hospital when I decided to change how I teach Sunday school to start teaching all of us how to do this. Eric, could you close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. And we thank you for our teacher, Bob. We thank you for sustaining him. And um, Lord, as we continue to look into your word today, we pray that you would help us to see your promises and to believe them. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be witnesses this week to the, for the sake of your gospel and your glory. We pray for protection as people go today uh, to and f- from their relatives. And we pray that, Lord, your name would be lifted on high through many pulpits through our nation and that people would believe upon you, the Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you upstairs.